Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You can't get second things in life through making them first. You have to put first things first, and then you can have second things. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name's Coach Yas, a performance coach, content creator, and founder of The Coaches Network. And today's episode is going to be part of our how-to series, where we discuss a range of topics and with the help of our guests, break down some actionable how-to steps to help you reach your full potential. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to another episode of The Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yas, and today I'm joined by my co-host as usual, Ben. Today we've got a very special episode for you. Um, today we're going to be joined by Alec Lemon, a member of Community for Coaches um, based out in the States, uh, Kansas City to be precise. Um, today Alec is going to give us a how-to on developing a coaching statement and a philosophy for your club. Welcome, Alec. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Brilliant. So look, Alec, we'll just get straight into it. You know, we want to talk a bit about your journey and then we'll obviously we'll go into some of the lessons and uh, guidance you can give us on that. So where did your journey start as a coach? So I was playing college um, in the NAI in the U.S. So that's one of the there's multiple levels in the U.S. of college soccer. So you have NCAA Division One, Two II, and Three, um, and then you have the NAI. Um, so I played in the NAI in Kansas City at Mid American Nazarene University, and so I was playing there, um, going to school, and my junior year, my college coach. Um, came to me and said, Hey, you know, I was kind of a leader on the team. And he was like, would you be interested in, in getting into coaching? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, he's like, well, I'm coaching these youth teams as well as the college teams. He had some younger club teams that he was coaching. And he was like, why don't, would you be willing to uh, cover some games for me basically when I am traveling for college recruiting and stuff? So I was like, yeah, totally. So I just kind of got in just being kind of a substitute coach um, for him filling in. And I think I remember one of my first times coaching, I covered for a tournament and uh, I got so into it and the kids were excited. And afterwards, the parents came and talked to me and they were excited, you know, just they enjoyed my coaching style. And I think pretty much from then I was hooked. Um, Just that experience of helping kids grow and helping them uh, accomplish more than they thought they could do, um, which was super exciting. Um, but so that would probably be my big first kind of, I'd say a turning point. I did do camps growing up, um, help out with camps, even as a high school kid, but that was a little bit different. Um, just kind of helping out with camps versus actually being, you know, being in charge of a, a little team and, and actually helping them grow. That was my first experience in college. So, Yeah. I could go on and more, but that's Brilliant. kind of my, my starting yeah. point there. So, um, 
Definitely. You know, I was going to take listeners to kind of where you're at right now. Obviously, um, one of the founders okay. of uh, yeah. FC. Um, would you mind just telling us a bit about what talk, who talk are and what you do there and uh-huh. you know, how you've maybe gone about developing that coaching philosophy For sure. there? Yeah. So in college, I continued to coach um, club and kind of got my own teams my senior year. So I was kind of I subbed for a year and then I started coaching my own teams um, with a, with a small club or an average size club in Kansas city and really enjoyed it. But basically as I was doing that, coaching that team, I I had some things I liked, some things I didn't like about the the club that I was a part of. Um, And I was in graduate school because after I finished playing the head coach for the team invited me to be the, the GA so I got to be an assistant coach um, at the same college that I played at. And um, while I was in um, getting my MBA, I basically started to develop like a business plan. And I kind of threw around different ideas because that was like the, the two-year process was to build a business um, that you could pitch to somebody. And so I started to build some different things. And then I realized, you know what? I really am passionate about soccer. I'm, I'm coaching. I think I'm going to build a business plan for a youth soccer club. And so I just kind of started to put together the branding, the philosophy, the ideas, and just started to write a lot as I put together this like 60 page document, I had to write my philosophy and how I wanted to do things and compare with other clubs around the country and the city. And so that's kind of where it started to develop. And then I just began to talk to people about it because I was excited about it. And um, a guy who graduated from the same college as me, but was a little older, Eli Court Hankey. Um, I talked to him, met with him over coffee and, and we realized like he was coaching his own small club. I was coaching at another club and we were like, wow, we have really similar passions and desires for coaching to, to not just coach and develop soccer players, but to develop um, great leaders and people. And we also wanted to have the freedom to faith as we coach to kind of be fully engaged with who we are, like not have to say, okay, I'm a soccer coach here and I put this in the box and then my personal life's over here and I do my own thing. We wanted to kind of have those blend together because our faith and our coaching kind of go hand in hand. Cause, cause really coaching, I believe in coaching you, you are teaching kids a worldview, whether you know it or not, you're teaching them about life. You're teaching them about, how to get along with other people. You're teaching them about um, how to be successful and how to accomplish goals. And that's a worldview to some extent. And so we wanted to kind of be able to say, hey, this is sort of the framework we're coming from. We're coming from a, a biblical perspective on life. And so we wanted to be able to have that freedom. Not that we're going to force that on people, but we didn't want people to be surprised when they came to our club and, and were coached by us that, that we talked about those things. And so from there, I, we went to um, my college coach, who's been important in throughout my life as a mentor, and said, hey, we have this idea to do this club on our own, and we want you to, to help us do it. And so he was kind of hesitant at first. And then when he realized, like, we were really serious and that we thought about it a lot, we basically just began to sit down and pull other coaches that we were friends with and we knew and have a roundtable discussion and discuss okay, what are the problems with youth soccer in the, in the States? What are the issues? How do we fix it? You know? And so we kind of came down to realizing that the biggest problem was um, elevating winning as essentially the most important thing. 
as, as the most important thing. And so what we began to do is instead of using winning as the ultimate goal, we use the pursuit of winning as a means to develop character. So the sort of like what happens a lot of times is, is it's not that the things that we want are wrong. It's that we elevate them to a status that's too high. We get our values out of order and then we kind of lose everything. So there's like a famous quote by I think C.S. Lewis that says, um, basically, you can't get second things in life through making them first. You have to put first things first and then you can have second things, you know. And so uh, the idea is basically if you so he gives an example in his book, Mere Christianity, he says, basically, if someone loves dogs for example, and they elevate dogs as the most important thing in their life and they're obsessed with it. What it actually does is, is it forms an almost imbalance in how um, they can value dogs more than people. And suddenly they're, they're not a balanced person. They're not a healthy person. And they actually destroy the joy of, of having like a dog or a pet because they've elevated it to too high of a status, you know, and the same thing can happen with money. Um, companies that, that elevate money as the most important thing eventually crumble because that's actually not the primary objective of, of any company is just to make money. It should be to add a, add value to people's lives to provide a service. And that has to be more important than just making money. And so in youth sports, we realize like if you were to compare money with winning, when youth sports basically, or soccer, it becomes winning becomes the ultimate. Well, now what you're doing is you're compromising things that are far weightier, like family, um, like character development, um, like meaningful relationships and mentorship. Those things are more important than a, a game on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, and so that's kind of the basis in a lot of ways of our philosophy. Um, and then from there, we built on that philosophy of trying to put first things first. So our values are faith, family, football. Um, so we try to focus on building a life where your faith is important and then, um, family. And we would say, when we say family, we just think of building meaningful relationships with people, um, loving your neighbor as yourself kind of ideas of, of valuing people in your life is important. And then third comes, comes the football part. And so that's still important. And we want to do that with excellence, but that's not the most important thing in life. And so we don't want to confuse kids, um, in, in a sports environment where we start to make them think, you know what, you can't be successful unless you idolize this sport to the extent that it, it replaces everything else in your life. And so that's kind of our character and philosophy side. Then we blended that with uh, what we believe is like the best philosophy for based on our values, which is kind of a, a possession based system. And, and that was, in 2011, you know, when like Barcelona was really rocking with their group, kind of changing the way people thought about soccer in 2009, 2010, that's when we were like, wow, this looks like the right way to play. And this blends with um, our values in the sense of uh, this is going to promote teamwork. This is going to uh, promote individual excellence and team excellence. This is going to promote um, a more balanced approach probably to life as well. Um, just a lot of the Barcelona um, mindset being a values-based kind of club is what, something that they're known for. We felt like, you know what, this, this, this blends. We're not, we're not Barcelona. We're not going to try to play exactly like them. But that was probably our most dominant influence um, was that style mm -hmm. of play. And so that's kind of what we've tried to, our, tried to focus on. And um, 
you know, basically be willing to take our lumps in the process of like, we don't really know when we didn't really know what we were doing when we first started, but we're like, this is how we want to play. So let's, let's not prioritize winning. Let's, let's do the sometimes long and difficult process of um, developing a culture, you know, trying to play out of the back and have some success, have some failure um, and, and learn from it and grow. And we've done, we've done pretty well. Um, I would say our club has grown a lot. We're probably, we're over, I think total kids involved. Um, so I would say, let me put it this way. So we have over 500 kids that are in year round traveling teams. You know, they're playing year round with us fall, winter, spring. These are fairly competitive teams all the way from, from teams that are um, kind of competing for state championships at our level, which is, you know, kind of the youth soccer um, U.S. youth soccer level is the biggest. You also have like the MLS academies. We're not an MLS academy. We don't compete in that league. But for kind of the U.S. youth soccer level, um, kind of the non-pro track, um, we're competing at that at that top level. We had a kid this last year get National Gatorade Player of the Year, which is a big deal. Basically, the number one um, high school player in the country. So um, we've had some some, and a lot of kids go to college and be really successful there. Um, so we feel proud of what we've done with individual kids and helping them be successful, which is, I think the most important thing, like the type of people you develop through your program more than, okay, we've won X number of (laughs) national championships, but more so how many kids have you helped get to the level, um, that they wanted to go to in college or, um, develop, uh, a culture within your families and, where they stay for years and years and they look back on the program, you know, uh, after they've been in it for 10 years and say, that was maybe one of the most important institutions I got to be a part of or organizations I was a part of. That's what we would want to say as far as the club. So that's, that's, so that's what I do there. I help run that. I'm a director in that and Toka and a founder. Um, but there's some other great directors there, Kevin Wardlaw um, and Matt Trump are two other main guys there that, that help lead that organization and they do an incredible job. Um, and then I also work with community for coaches, which is another nonprofit where we go and work with uh, people of all sports, a lot of times in the high schools and speak with them and talk and do workshops um, and kind of in a sense, coach the coaches not so much on their sports specific stuff, but we coach them on, Hey, how do you develop a coaching philosophy that's going to help you stay focused on the most important things um, as far as like the type of players you're developing um, and the type of culture you want to create on your team. It's more so kind of leadership coaching for coaches around creating a really remarkable experience um, for, for, for coaches, creating a remarkable experience for their, for their players. So helping coaches intentionally and effectively use sports to transform lives. So really helping them become great mentors um, and creating a culture on their team where they're developing great people. Uh, So those are kind of the two big organizations that I'm a part of and I'm, you know, very blessed that I get to, to do both. So. Yeah. I just want to harken back on uh, something that you said there. So obviously you're part of um, starting uh, the organization and Uh, obviously, in in the initial stages, like uh, to a lot of success that you had um, now with with your players, but like in the initial stages, how uh, what sort of challenges were in the, in the terms of that? You know, you had to always look at the bigger picture sort of thing, but maybe that picture wasn't that clear in the initial stages because you're 
you're kind of working a blank canvas to instill the mm-hmm. one and the culture you want. So can you just um, talk about that a bit, like in terms of, you know, those initial stages, those building blocks that you need to make the foundations of the, uh, of the club? Yeah. So, I mean, there's two parts. Like, so um, if we're talking about building uh, a philosophy for individuals, that's a little bit different um, than an organization. Mm-hmm. So I'll focus on, if we're talking about an organization, I think the key is um, getting people together that share the same values. Um, and that is something that can only happen through building deep relationships where you um, you spend enough time talking. You know, we we literally talked for six months every single week we got together and talked (laughs) and we talked about what we saw was problems um what we saw that we really liked that was good um and and that takes time takes time to get to know people well enough that you figure out what's really driving them and you allow people to share their experiences um with sports you allow them to talk about um you know what what makes something meaningful you know, for kids, like we're in this time where we have COVID-19 and in a lot of places like you sports has stopped. And it's like, uh, why should we bother bringing it back? Like, what is this really doing for society? You know, what is this club really doing? Um, and so I think that's really important is basically figuring out like, um, questions like how do you define success? You know, um, I think that's really important. Uh, what's kind of the end picture you're shooting for, you know, cause a lot of times people will think they agree and think they have the same values. But what happens is, is like when you project that out over 10 years, you realize that you, you might be doing a lot of things the same right now. Oh, we're doing this for kids. We want to help kids. We want to help them grow. But when you, some people have a picture 10 years from now, that looks very different from yours, you know? And so you have to kind of do a decent amount of, I would say you have to do a decent amount of thinking about what do you want in the future? And then you also have to understand where people are coming from. So people have to spend time understanding what are the roots of each of these people that I'm trying to work with to build a club? Like what are their experiences that have shaped them? And that's going to make, that's going to filter how they view the future. And then you also have to make sure that you, um, you've actually taken the time to hear what people envision and want for the future. So I think those would be the two big things. So and just on that, Ali, you know, you touched on it before about um, gathering that community of coaches. Yeah. Would you mind just talking to how important you feel that it is um, having a group of coaches and or a community of coaches in that respect around you when when you are, you know, I guess going through those initial stages? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's huge. I think it's really important. I think one of the biggest things it does is it helps improve your self-awareness. Um, it's very hard to, like, you... If you think about it, the way you view the world, you always see it from the inside out. You're looking out at the world all the time. You don't walk around watching yourself in the world. You can't see yourself. You're interacting with people, but you don't see how you look. No one's holding up a mirror um, every single moment of your life and, and watching all of your emotions. So you don't know how you really come off with players or to other people. And when you're in a group of coaches where you've built trust um, they can help you with self-awareness because you bring up an issue. You say, I'm having this conflict with this player or this other coach. What do you guys think? 
And if they, those people are honest and trustworthy and people that are good people, like they're going to tell you the truth. And the truth is sometimes you're wrong or you're just blind to something. And so I think if you really want to grow, um, you can't do it in isolation. You know, a lot of coaches, there's definitely something to spending some time researching and learning online or studying drills or studying philosophies and all those things. But there is a massive gap in coaching, I think, between your self-perception and the reality of how you actually come off. And that's partly because a lot of times coaches are, are kind of their own little kings of their own little kingdoms. They've got their team, they're coaching, and they're not always forced to work with others that closely. So they, they sometimes lack. And then, the, you know, the players are, are wanting playing time. So they're naturally not going to try to say something to call the coach out generally. So the coach can easily get into this situation where he thinks he's coming off one way. He thinks he's being, um, he's leading in, in a certain way and people respond to him well, but it's really not reality. Um, it's kind of like the, the power paradox, basically. The, the more powerful you become of a leader, the less people tell you the truth, you know? And so uh, in coaching that can happen. And so you need coaches that, you know, I would say you don't necessarily always work directly with that will talk to you and help you understand um, your, how you really are leading, like get you closer in touch with reality. So Definitely. I mean, I think one uh, it takes me back to my own journey and, you know, um, you talked there about, you know, being a king of y- your own kings in that respect. I felt like, you know, I've been coaching for the last 10 years now. And it was only about maybe five years ago where I really learned and developed the understanding that how important it is to work alongside another coach and how difficult that can actually be at the same time. Because you do have to kind of uh, almost become vulnerable to an extent because you're actually now going to be under scrutiny from someone else alongside Mm -hmm. you. But you have to be maybe take that brave step and uh, allow yourself to be vulnerable so that you can develop would you mind just you know maybe talking to that a little bit because for me personally that was a ma- that was a massive massive learning curve for me and that was a massive stage in my career where I really felt like you know this is I'm developing here because I'm now being stretched and challenged just by the views and perceptions of this person that's working alongside me whereas what you tend to see is um you know I'm not sure if it, how it is over in the states but over here in particular especially when you're working in the grassroots community and even sometimes even in the elite game where you might have a a senior coach or lead coach in some capacity, and then the assistant coach is more just their kind of hands-on support rather than actually, uh, you know, actively involved, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a coach um, in the States that's really famous, John Wooden. He's, a, he's actually a basketball coach, and he won mm. 10 national championships in 12 years and is considered the probably the greatest coach of all time, um, written a number of books. And something that he talks about is that he never wanted assistant coaches that were just yes men, you know, that would just say, oh, yeah, yeah. And that's really hard. That was hard for him to find because he was literally considered one of the greatest coaches of all time. And 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 he would say that oftentimes he would really try to recruit and pick assistant coaches that had a little bit different philosophy than him in some ways that would push back against his ideas because he still wanted to grow. He still knew he could improve. Um, and part of the reason why he remained so successful over so long is that he oftentimes um, changed up his system, changed up. I mean, 
Um, Pep is obviously another great example that he's kind of evolved at each place that he's been in. He hasn't actually run the exact same um, style um, at each club. He's mixed it up because he's had to, because people kind of figured out what he was doing. And so that's something that uh, the best coaches are humble. You know, they're trying, they're still trying to improve. They're still trying to get better, you know? And I think I was doing a workshop um, for us soccer a little while ago during the, the COVID break. And um, they were asking me, you know, I, I uh, did one of my licenses within the last year and they were like, why, you know, you've been coaching a long time. Why don't you do it earlier? And he's like, I was like, well, honestly, I think it's taken me maybe 10 years to realize I really don't know everything. Um, and that I need to get into environments and get my courses and, and really expose myself to people that will challenge my ideas. Um, and I think, I think I'm willing to do that when it comes to kind of the philosophy and character stuff. I love that dialogue and that engagement, but I think mm. a little bit of insecurity um, keeps us from being humble enough to go and put our ideas out there, let people challenge us. Um, and that, that takes, it, it, it keeps us from growing. It keeps us from growing. Absolutely. When we, you know, think we already, we know more, you know? Um, and maybe I think part of that is too, like, I didn't want to confuse myself too, because sometimes there's so much information out there. You're worried. It's just kind of this mess of drills and stuff. And you don't, you kind of want to keep it simple because it's kind of crazy to have so many things, but I still think it's really important that you find certain people that have some extra expertise. They don't have to be better at everything than you, but they need to be better at something than you go learn from that person. Yeah. If you can find anything that they can do better than you, that can be your mentor. Um, they don't need to be better at everything, you know, just something mm -hmm. specific, you know? So I think that that's a big thing with, with developing your philosophy, you need a mentor and you don't actually need a mentor that is in your sport always. And you don't always need a mentor that is more talented than you as far as even understanding the game or all parts of the game. Like you just need a mentor who will tell you the truth, reflect back to you what's going on. And you need a mentor who has some strengths in areas where you don't have strengths. And I think that can be a mentor for you. So. No, I agree. I agree. Um, I feel like, uh, and just like to add to what you're saying, it's just that aspect of like, you shouldn't necessarily even be looking at um, per se qualifications or credentials when it comes to that sort of thing. It's like the skill set and the, the qualities that an individual has that you feel that you can benefit from in your thing and kind of develop yourself and your philosophy. And just on that point, in terms of um, the word philosophy, we've seen it become quite prominent um, in you know the last couple of years of um, coaching with like the emergences of like the, the peps and the clots because um, you know they they do have they, they they do change and whatnot, but they have like a like a philosophical yeah. sort of um, foundation of the, in the way their teams play and the way their teams conduct themselves. Like, but what, what do you kind of define philosophy um, to be like? Yeah. So with mine, basically like, so my coaching philosophy, as far as like the core core is I coach to inspire kids to become men and women of excellence and strength who lead others with mercy and grace. And that's kind of my, really the basis with which I build the soccer part. So first, like I start with kind of, I coach 
So I, I'm a coach. That's one of the main things that I do. And why one of my big goals is to inspire. Like I don't want to dominate. I want to, don't to, don't want to like, um, you know, kind of be the, the dictator over the team. I want to inspire them. I want them to catch the vision of what I'm trying to do. So, um, it's more of a planning the ideas in the kids' minds and then allowing them to some inspiration and creativity of how we're going to do that. So I'm focused on kids. So I have kids in there and then I have the word become in there because for me, this is about progress. It's about helping them learn to make, um, to become something right. So whatever they are, they can become something better. So they're kind of moving from the process of becoming kids to becoming men and women. Cause I focus on mostly kind of, uh, well in the club, it's, it's taking kids. We have kids that are starting with us at, three, four, five years old and go all the way up to 18. But um, my big thing is helping them kind of become and grow into just strong men and women that are defined by excellence and strength. So everything we do, it's like, okay, how do we be excellent at this? How do we um, embody strength? Um, Because if you don't have anything that you're excellent at or anything that you're strong at, like why should we make you a leader if you're not good at anything and you don't have any sense of, um, you don't have any strengths. So that's something I think is really important that that people who are aspiring to be leaders, um, that they develop strengths, they develop skills. But then as they develop strengths and skills and they come into a place of leadership, I want them to be, I kind of, who lead others with mercy and grace. So my focus there is being others focused um, and then having mercy and grace in their relationships. So they're, they're, they're pursuing excellence. They're trying to be strong. They're being, you know, out on the field, for example, like, We're trying to play like we're trying to play kind of the pep style, so to speak, because I believe that's maybe one of the best examples of um, excellence in football. You know, it's sort of the the gold standard there, along with Klopp um, is also maybe a different brand of of possession soccer, but but still one that's driven by excellence. Um, And then the goal is, okay, can we develop types of leaders because i think we need in our society leaders who are excellent and strong they develop skill sets whether that's in sports or or whatever they go on to eventually um who are leaders but they're others focused and then they have a sense of compassion in their leadership and so that's what i'm trying to model as a coach um that's the vision i want them to catch and then you know from there i think if you wanted to go into the more specifics of philosophy like i think this is the basis you have to figure this part out right because otherwise, what happens is you build this beautiful house, so to speak, of, of coaching philosophy, whether you model it off of Klopp or Pep or some variation of someone else, you know. Um, but underneath that, you have to have a solid foundation, right? So I think of it like when you're building philosophy, it's like you're building a lot of coaches think of it like they're building a house, right? But the purpose of that house that they're building, the philosophy, a lot of times it can be designed primarily to be coach-centric. And this is something that we've talked about in the, in the U S soccer um, coaching courses. I don't know if they do it in England, but basically do you have a coach centered philosophy or do you have a player centered philosophy? Right. Um, I, I don't know. Have you guys talked about that idea in any of the, the course, courses over there? Is that something that you guys talked about? Yeah, okay. it, it definitely is. I mean, um, you know, in one of my roles, I'm, uh, I actually work as a coach educator okay. for the, for the, FA and um, some of the, the, the concepts that we start to go around now, you know, that coach led versus player led environment. Right. But, you know, we just get interested. Yeah. It's also a, 
distinction there as well because I think a lot of people think player led is uh, sorry a coach led cannot be player centered and I think there's, I think it's important to highlight those things there. So sometimes people think as soon as it's coach led that the player is not at the heart of that yeah. that environment or the player is not part of the end the outcome. Um, so I think it is important to distinguish that as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, because it is coach led. Yeah. It doesn't mean that the players can't be the priority and the, and at the forefront of that. Um, but obviously, you know, if we touch back on some of the stuff that you said there around, you know, we want to develop people that are going to go out into the world and be good members of the society and the communities within the world. I think it's important to have them at the centre of that and allow them elements to have opportunities where they can lead mm-hmm. that that development mm-hmm. process. But equally, the coach is there to coach. Um, so the coach, to, to an extent, I believe, you know, there should always be a coach-led element to it um, and not just shift it onto the player and stuff. So yeah. I think that bit is very key. Yeah, absolutely. So I think your foundation, if you're going to build a philosophy, um, you have to put the, the most important things, so to speak, at the, at the core. And so I think a big question you have to ask is like, why are my players valuable? That's a central question to um, a coach when they're developing a philosophy because you have to understand and, and wrestle with this idea of like, are my players simply, am I coaching, am I coaching uh, athletes, you know, um, or am I coaching people, you know? Um, and so a lot of times, like we think about um, sports, like is it, are you coaching uh, a sport and then in that you're coaching some players or are you coaching a sport in order to reach players? You know, are you coaching, are you playing, are you playing the game basically to help the players win the game or are you coaching in a way that um, uh, helps you win the, the players as a coach, like you're winning their, their hearts you're winning them as a in, in that relationship so that you actually have the chance to really deeply impact them. Or are you just kind of using the players to win a game, you know? And I think, um, you know, you think about even at the pro level, uh, that still actually is important. If, if the players perceive that the coach doesn't really care about them, um, I don't think they keep playing the same way. If it really is all about the coach and the coach winning and they'll sacrifice players in, I mean, obviously it's competitive and you want to win and you have to earn your spot, but like uh, it's important that the coach truly values the player, you know? And I think you see that with Klopp really strongly and with Pep, both of them, they really care about their players as people. And that actually makes um, them a better coach. And they get, I think they get more out of their players. You know, I think while Mourinho is really good coach, um, there's been times where he, I think the players have lost faith that maybe they, he didn't really care about them and he lost them. He lost them. And I don't know if that's necessarily true that he doesn't care about his players, but the perception was there. And because of that, he lost his teams. You know what I mean? Or he kind of lost the momentum with those teams. Obviously, that's like a whole nother conversation, but I'm just trying to bring in that, that um, I think it applies at all levels. And so you have to kind of establish your foundation. And then from there, you can begin to build those more complex things to a philosophy, which might be um, things like your leadership style, how you lead the team, your tactical style of play, your technical development. I mean, all those things are really important. Um, 
And those are things that I would call like the conscious things of um, in a coaching philosophy, you're conscious of your leadership style, or at least you should be conscious of it, how you're leading the team, how you're developing a culture, your tactical style of play, your development, all those things are really important. But underneath that, you know, um, it has to be a, a deep foundation. And I think of that being more of like your core values, like your value statement about like why players matter, your purpose for coaching as far as how you want to impact the lives of your players, the type of leaders you want to develop. Like that's like the foundation, you know? And so a lot of people when they're coaches, when they're developing their philosophy, it's like they're building a house, right? But if that purpose of that house is to serve them, I think they're missing it. You know, and so when I talk to coaches about building, building their coaching philosophy, I talk about the analogy of like a lighthouse, because the purpose of a lighthouse is very different than the purpose of a house. Purpose of a lighthouse is to serve the others, to serve those boats that are kind of out on the sea that are trying to find their way, sort of symbolically talking about players. The coach is kind of not playing. They're on the sideline, but they're to guide and lead those players out on the field. But the purpose of the lighthouse is not to serve them. The purpose of the lighthouse should be to serve the players, to help them function out there on the field at their, at their highest level. And so that's something that kind of um, I think is important. Uh, even just big picture thinking about philosophy. Are you trying to build something for yourself and for your career and for your house? Or are you building like a leader should be others focused? And a coach is a leader, you know, and obviously you need to try to advance your career and all those things, but I don't think you're going to make it very far in your career if it's all about you, you know, um, it's, it's one of those strange things where, uh, if, if you, um, there's a verse in the Bible that talks about like, um, basically if you, if you want to be the greatest, you need to become the servant of all is what Jesus said. And so he's basically saying like, if you want to be the greatest leader, you really need to become the greatest servant. Um, and when you actually are become the greatest servant, like you will actually become someone that people really want to lead. They want you to be in charge because they know that if you lead, it's good for, for them and for other people. And like, those are the people we want in charge, those kind of people. But if you haven't established like a rock solid foundation of like why individual people matter why they're valuable, why they're not just, you know, pieces to move on a chessboard, you're, you're going to have a hard time hiding that. It's going to accidentally pop out at the most inconvenient times and you're going to lose your teams um, because people don't trust you and you can't lead without trust, you know? So those are kind of, I think, some, oh. some big picture things that coaches have to grab hold on before they get caught up because you can get so caught up in technical, tactical, and this style – Honestly, that stuff is like the outer shell, right? There's a deeper core that has to be dealt with first. And then from that deeper core of um, why people matter, you can build a philosophy that's consistent um, and authentic and uniquely you, you know? I think you can build a really unique and authentic philosophy if, you're, um, if you have your solid why first, you know? So like my, my purpose statement is unique. It's not like anyone else's. Now that I have that foundation, I can learn from Klopp and Pep and all these other coaches and Mourinho, but I'm still have my foundation is unique, you know? And so when that, that everything that I bring into my coaching philosophy from different styles or different coaches has to filter through my purpose statement. 
It happens, has to filter through, okay, is this going to help me be excellent? Is this going to teach my players um, mercy and grace? Is this going to um, help them become others focused? You know, is this going to make them good leaders? If it doesn't pass that test, then I don't add it into my philosophy. You know, if, if, if I hear that some coach disciplines his team in some certain way, but then I realize like that tactic is a tactic of domination and humiliation to get obedience from my players. It's like, that's inconsistent with my coaching philosophy of leading with mercy and grace. So I can't, even though it works, I can't do it. You know what I mean? So there's certain coaches. I feel like I I can't really learn from them because when a lot of their tactics and ways of leadership don't jive with my core philosophy. So does that make sense? Why you have to get that core foundation first and then you can bring in all these other things and actually not just be a copycat. You know what I mean? Cause that's the biggest thing is like, we can be very, um, mm-hmm. you know, just grab hold of the next trend. You know, it's like always the newest thing. Um, you know, it's just whatever the flavor of the month is, is like what the coaches are all mm-hmm. saying. You know, I remember when, when France won, it was like, Oh, coming to your inboxes soon, you know, how to play like <laughs> France. It's like, you knew that was coming. Um, so yeah. it's hard to not get think stuck in that though, cycle, you know, it's, it, it, it is it is a common thing to kind of jump on the bandwagon a little bit. And I think the key thing I really think, you know, people should take away from what you're saying is that you're never going to be the better version of someone yeah, else. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, and, you know, commonly we use it, we use the phrase that the coach, you know, the best coaches are the best thieves. They don't take um, everything, everything that everyone does. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. But they kind of pick what applies for them and what doesn't yeah. work for them and then go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, get, you can steal, but you have to filter it through your own leadership style, your own person, your own personality and your own core reason for why you coach. Right. You have to filter everything you add in, everything you steal, you have to filter it through that. If you don't, you haven't really taken ownership of it. And you just kind of got this like mass of random building supplies, right? But you haven't actually built this, a real structure yet because you haven't, you haven't built it into your master plan. Your master plan has to, but it has to start with that core coaching philosophy of um, why people matter, you know? And that's, it should, it should, your, your listeners should look up John Wooden and look up his pyramid of success. Um, he has this pyramid and it's basically this, this drawing of all of his core values lined out, you know, and, and put in this, this whole structure. And he could talk for, you know, he's literally written whole books um, where he takes a whole chapter to talk about each one of these core values and how that actually translated to specific drills at times or specific ways of disciplining his players. And so I think that's, Rather than thinking about style of play and philosophy as just simply like the end result on the field, we have to think about coaching philosophy and style of play um, from the standpoint of, of why I'm doing this and what I'm trying to accomplish in the lives of people. Or if you're coaching a pro team, like what you're trying to accomplish as a vision in the city, 
Like, what do you want people to think of when they watch your team play? Like, what are you trying to embody? You know, is your, is your team one of, of hardcore working class people that just want to see people work hard? And it's like, well, you've got to build in to your core values and why you coach um, those kind of values and then create a style of play that, that does that, you know, and that I don't think one style of play is, I think, you know, they, they talk in like martial arts, they talk a lot about like what style of fighting is best. And, and what a lot of times people have said is like, it's more so like mastering whatever style you're doing can be incredibly deadly, you know? And I think it's the same with, with soccer styles. Like um, if you master a style and you do it really well and it embodies like the, the, the character of your players and way they think about life and how, man, it's like a synergy effect. That's so powerful when people are bought into values that, that, that makes sense with how you're wanting them to play on the field. Does that make sense? Mm, definitely. And it, it's like, uh, you, you already started talking about it there, like in terms of your philosophy and what, what uh, I'm hearing to say it does overlap with, your philosophy as an individual and like that sort of synergetic um, structure that you have where there's a number of influences um, that can um, add to that. And one of the influences that I'm, I'm gathering from, you know, what you're saying and the, the research that we've done on you is that like your, your faith plays mm -hmm. a huge part in that. Um, can you just talk, uh, talk a bit about that? Like what, uh, how much, uh, how important has that been in terms of like you, implement into such a philosophy into your environment yeah um well i think so for me like uh the greatest commandment is to love the lord your god with all your heart with all your mind and with all your soul and the reason why it's important that i believe it's important to to put god at the top is because in a lot of ways like the idea of god even if you're not um someone who believes in Christianity, for example, the idea of God is important in society. Um, if you think about uh, going philosophy, deep philosophy, like um, Nietzsche talked about this idea of like the death of God and that we've killed God. And there's a poem where he writes about that. And he's like, we'll never be able to like wipe the blood off of our hands from that. Um, and when, when Nietzsche said that, he was prophesying in a sense, I don't know, prophecy is the right word. He was, he was speaking of what he believed the future was, was that the idea of taking God out of our society in a sense removes the idea of, of um, objective reality at some level. It's difficult to define objective reality. It's difficult to define, uh, to define right and wrong. And once that happens, what happened in, in the 20th century was the bloodiest century of time in that we had you know, um, world wars and, and mass genocide that happened. And a part of that, people mm. might blame some of that on, on the idea of God, but it also could be blamed on the lack of idea of God. Um, and so that, that people lost idea, like what did the Nazis to some extent they lost? They lost the idea that Jews were actually human beings created in the image of God and valuable. They stopped believing that you know, and that created a huge problem. And so kind of goes back to my core point of like valuing human beings is so important and realizing that 
a human being is far more impo- more important than a than a result of a game. <laughs> and it's silly that we have to say that, but we actually do have to remind ourselves of that because we can get really caught up in winning and losing and forget that there's a, a, a real person that you're developing and cultivating. And for, for me as a kid growing up, sports was the most important thing for me. Soccer was the most important thing to me. It was my idol. It was more important to me than God. And uh, in a lot of ways that destroyed uh, my sense of self-worth because it was like a roller coaster of when I was playing well um, growing up, I played on the youth national team for the U S um, playing a year up and, and had a lot of success um, and was identified to be a, a top level player. But um, man, I also got put in situations because I got identified at that high of a level that I could not handle the pressure. Uh, and I was in, I was in Mexico city, um, or not Mexico, Guadalajara, Mexico, with the national team, the youth national team at 14. And I had basically like an emotional breakdown because uh, I, the pressure was too much. I would idolize soccer my entire life. My, my dad put a lot of pressure on me to play. And um, I really wanted to be a pro. I was low income um, family. And it was, I think my dad felt like, hey, maybe this is the way out. This, my son can, you know, play pro and that's what people were telling us and I literally just had an emotional breakdown I couldn't breathe there's maybe a little bit of altitude sickness with it but I ended up going to the hospital um, because I was kind of in such like a not able to breathe kind of emotional um, breakdown a little bit and um, in that hospital like uh, there was a doctor there that was with the national team that was talking to me and he was like hey can I pray for you because I think he sensed maybe this was like emotional stress partly and so he prayed for me and and at that moment I was just like kind of overcome Mm. with a sense of peace from God and I realized like I think I've I've made soccer like so important and it's not the most important thing in life you know um and so that was a big a big changing point for me um kind of realizing that that soccer is awesome and I love it but I'd actually destroyed my love of soccer through idolizing it I didn't enjoy playing anymore because it was so important that I was successful. It was so important that I win every single game. So important that I was the very best player. Like I was not the best player when I went to those national team camps, but I felt like I had to be the very best player or I didn't know who I was, you know, if I wasn't the best player. And so that's something that's been important for me moving forward is like, okay, how, how can I, in a sense, take kids um, like this Johnny Munoz kids that was Gatorade player of the year, um, and remind him that his value is not in how well he performs in an individual game, that his value is unshakable, that it comes from God creating him, you know, from breathing into him, like in a sense, the spark of divinity was put in him through being made in the image of God. And that's where his value comes from. And and then from there, it's like, okay, now that you have a, a strong foundation of where your value comes from, Go out and do things well. Do things with excellence. Do, do it to the best of your ability. Don't be afraid to be successful. Um, but I was, in a sense, terrified of, of failing and terrified of succeeding at the same time because I worried if I succeeded, maybe I still wouldn't be happy. And I was terrified if I failed that I wouldn't even know who I was anymore. And that's just a, a miserable place to be, um, to be afraid of succeeding because you're worried maybe there's nothing over the hill, so to speak, like that you make it and it's still, you're still depressed. Um, and then if you worried that if you, if you don't succeed, like you'll be a failure and you won't know who you are anymore. Um, and so in my coaching, I want to, you know, 
that's one of the main things is to remind people um, that their value comes from being made in the image of God. Um, I think that's foundational for people. And I think it actually helps people to be more successful in the end, not less successful to, to, to get, to be operating from a more solid standpoint, you know? So. Definitely. And Alex touched on there about, you know, the, how, how to find your, uh, I guess, your, your purpose, you know, and, and aligning yourself with. Yeah. That. But just give us some how to tips. To wind down. Would that be good? Okay. Yeah, definitely. No, the how to tips will be brilliant. You know, and just in terms of, you know, a couple of things you touched on there in terms of, uh, you know, your purpose statement, the value statement, what your core values are. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe just provide some insight on how you go about maybe getting to that point where you start to put that philosophy together. Because all the, all, you know, the philosophy encompasses all of these things as uh, almost subheadings mm-hmm. if, 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 yeah. if you want. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, before we get into like the specific exercises or activities you could do to build a purpose statement. I think the first thing is to remember, like you need either a mentor to, to work with as you go through this, because it's this process of developing a philosophy and kind of taking a worldview and then translating it onto a style of play is something where you, you need to have conversations and discussions about it. And so you need either a mentor um, someone you can really talk to. And then the second thing that you could do is you just need maybe a small group of coaches or a few friends that you could really um, have these conversations with so that you could kind of begin to ask good questions that allow you to kind of pull back the layers of your own coaching experiences, what your natural tendencies are, and then where you want to go. So, so I would say those are the two things is like either get a mentor you can work with or find a group of coaches and then you want to start asking good questions. And so that's kind of the next part. So the questions that I think that are important, so this would be like your step one. So I'm going to give you um, five, like the five steps as far as sort of like the layout. And then I'm also going to give you five potential practical assignments that you could do with a group of coaches or, or with a mentor. So the steps are, um, the first one is kind of digging up scripts. And when I say digging up scripts, I mean like your coaching scripts. So for example, with, with me, like a script that I got um, for my coaching style, I got from my dad who coached me as a kid. Um, and I mentioned my dad earlier that he really pushed me hard to be a good player. But, and, and I kind of mentioned that he was hard on me, um, but he was also the reason why I was good. And he helped me a ton to grow and develop. And so um, I'm very appreciative of my dad and everything he did. And, and like, like most dads, when you have a son, you want them to be successful. And so, um, but, but one thing I got from his coaching was he had a really, you know, even when we were just doing rec to start, you know, he approached it, the game very seriously. Um, and so he, he would be very intense. And sometimes if there was a kid who was like a little bit of a screw off, like he would um, kind of lay down the line of where he wanted the, the expectations were. And then w- when that kid would break that line, kind of cross that line, he would just hammer that kid really hard and kind of get on him and really kind of humiliate and embarrass that kid at practice. And then um, basically like everyone else would be scared of him because <laughs> he would kind of lay down the law. And so mm-hmm. when I started coaching, I kind of would use that same tactic. I would kind of um, say, here's, here's the deal. It'd kind of be kind of tough. Hey, we're going to be really good here. We're going to be excellent. I'm going to push you guys really hard. And then there would be kind of a kid that was screwing off. And I would intentionally um, figure out who that kid is. It was the problem kid. And then I would just 
wreck that kid at a practice one time and just kind of put, try to put the fear of God in everybody. And I used that tactic and it worked. Um, but the problem was, is that I started to realize when I created my purpose statement and I thought about, okay, I want to coach with excellence and strength, but also mercy and grace. I realized that sometimes when I would hammer that kid who was being difficult or whatever, I would lose that kid for the entire season. Right. And now I I lost that, that potential positive impact I could have on that kid because that kid never trusted me the rest of the year, you know? And so I realized when I filtered kind of a script that I got from my, from my dad, who's one of my coaches, like, you know, and I think when my dad did it, he actually is a different person than me. And so he usually worked with him. <laughs> he actually was able to build that kid back up in a way where it, it wasn't negative. So it wasn't like his tactic was wrong. It's just when I did it, it didn't have the same effect. And I saw it having a negative effect. And I'm like, you know what, I need to edit this script. This isn't positive. And so that's kind of an example of like, you know, uh, editing a script or, or digging up where, where are you getting your ideas about coaching? So that's kind of the first step. The second one is it kind of goes along with the first one, but it's evaluating that script. So you have to dig up scripts from your old coaches, you know, methods they use, tactics, styles, of coaching, style of leadership, and then you evaluate those, you know, um, that's kind of the, the next one. And then the third is um, really begin to dig into what are my values and what, and why do I value my players? Those, those two big questions. Um, and then the fourth one is, casting a vision for where you want to go. So like who, what kind of a coach do I want to be? Or um, what do I want to accomplish in my coaching? Or what type of an impact do I want to have on my players? Those are, those are big things. And then the fifth step is basically summarizing um, your, your core value and your purpose and what you want to accomplish into a simple and concise statement. Um, so a, a purpose statement is simply a simple and concise sa- statement that shares your values and captures the heart behind your coaching. And that really is the sum of digging up those scripts, evaluating them, kind of figuring out what do I value? And you can kind of figure out what you value and what, what's important um, through uh, the character traits that you value in other people. Um, those are kind of your values a lot of times. Um, and then you're casting vision for like, here's who I want to be as a coach and things like that. And then you kind of take that vision and those values, you put that together and that's, that's your purpose statement. So that's sort of the blueprint at a high level. Um, and then from there, there's some, there's some practical assignments that I've created that I think that help you. Um, so the first assignment you would do is, um, one where you're kind of going through your coaching history and you basically write out kind of all the coaches you remember having um, in your past, you know, as many as you can. Um, And then you kind of put them in, you grade them on three different categories. So like technical, tactical, relational, motivational, kind of interpersonal stuff. And then like character, how well do they develop character? Did they invest in people at a spiritual level? Did they have that kind of element? So, and you give them a score one through 10 and that kind of begins to give you like um, an average of like, okay, here's sort of, where I had coaches in my past that were strong and technical tactical, but they weren't very good at relating with their players. So like, that's something I'm going to have to work on. So Yassar, like uh, we've talked about this a little bit. Did, do you, I'm curious if you have any, you know, coaches that come to mind when you think about your history, you know, see if we can kind of give an example to listeners of how you would maybe dialogue about these things. Yeah. So I've got a couple of coaches in my, in, in mind, you know, and, um, you know, like, so we did discuss this prior. So a couple of coaches and a couple, uh, I guess, uh, 
mentors who are also coaches, but I was never actually their co- uh, one of mm-hmm. their players. If that makes sense. So I've got a few examples I can think to um, around that. Yeah. Um, so did you notice like a trend of like uh, a coach that was really strong, technical, tactical, or relational? And like, how are you trying to looking yeah. at trying to copy them, or like what's that look like? I think um, you know, there's, like I said, there's been a range of them. So it's, um, particularly. When I look back at my, my, I guess the days when I was maybe playing, when I had I had coaches in that capacity, I had a couple that were maybe very good on the technical, tactical side of things, um, but maybe the relational part lacked a little bit because it was just it was much a, a very coach-led, coach-centered environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, as much as the information might have been effective and, and useful, um, if it wasn't presented in a in a certain way, and as you as you touched on there about having that example of you know, going at that player, mm-hmm. you go at that player and you lose it. But, you know, that can also put fear into the players around that player as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it almost becomes that it's an environment where you can't really challenge what the coach is saying. So I think from a relational perspective, there were certain things there that definitely I, I, I look at now and I, and I choose for myself that I, I want to avoid um, mm-hmm. in my own coaching. But certainly the technical, tactical side of things in terms of the level of detail, the and. The analysis of you know the depth of the analysis they go into the observation I've picked up on in that respect. Uh, a couple yeah. of coaches, you know, I've, you talk there about three areas: you know, technical, tactical, the relation, and even the character and spiritual. That and you know, whereas I have other I have other coaches that I've you know I've worked alongside and I guess worked with who, from a character perspective, you know, technical, tactically they they weren't that great, uh, in my opinion, in comparison mm-hmm. to some of the others. Um, relational, yeah, fairly relational. You know, they could relate to, the, I guess, the, the the group of players that they were working with to a, to a decent standard. But they were really good at keeping a building character and motivating those players. Hmm. Um, so you know, there, there's a there's a blend. There's a blend. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and I think what you'll see is like um, coaches. Like if you are strong in one area, you you'll kind of lean on that to get your success. Definitely. You know. Yeah, and that's the one that kind of you keep going to because it's getting results for you. You know, you just you're just like known as the motivator coach, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's great. I mean, you want to that means you maybe had some good um, role models in that area. And that's a strength. And that's you want to keep that as a strength. Um, but then you also want to realize, like, if you just don't continue to grow technically or tactically as a coach, like you're you're not going to be operating, you know, at full speed. So sometimes it's just good to be aware of that. And then basically it's like, then you can very, you can, you can begin to, once you identify the strengths and the weaknesses, you can say like, okay, I need to find a mentor who's actually strong in the technical, tactical category. Yeah, I mean, it's, and I'll it's go find him. Say that. You know? I, I, when I think back on my own coaching in particular. Um, so obviously over here in, in, in the UK, we, we, you know, we work across the four corner model, which is, you know, you've got on one side, on one corner, you've got the technical, tactical stuff. And another corner, you've got the psych stuff. Another corner, you know, talk about the physical stuff. And on, mm-hmm. other, on the other side of things is social. Now, I think social is is, is very important. Um, however, in my own particular coaching, what I've what I've observed is when I'm working with another coach, I tend to be less social. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know how much that is it, it just coincidence, but I tend to because like, you're talking to the other coach during practice, or what do you mean? Uh, no, because. Not, not, not from that perspective, in terms of, uh, I guess, 
relation relationally as you as you know as you as you characterize it with the mm-hmm. players, I tend to be more focused around the other the other things. Um, okay. I, just coincidentally, I would work. I, I've just been in situations where the coach who I end up working with happens to be quite strong in that area in terms okay. of building relations and stuff like that. So it's not to say that I I, I don't believe I can do it, but uh, I guess I place less emphasis on it when I'm when I'm not working alone. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. When, when I'm working alone, it, it's almost like my 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 radar goes up a little bit and says, "Okay, I need to I need to be a bit more hot on that." And I don't know whether that's something that is subconscious or not. Um, but then it comes back to kind of what you said there around knowing mm-hmm. where your strength lies and maybe working with that and leaning on that a little bit more. So maybe you know, I feel like one of my strengths in particular, you know, I've got a background in uh, in I guess. The, the fitness world so you know i've got a good understanding of the physical side of things and how that can be uh adjusted and adapted and uh catered for but i i feel like my strong my strongest area is probably that technical tactical side of things so i tend to then focus much more on working in that uh, mm-hmm. than leaning on any any other areas yeah yeah so i mean so the, so the goal of kind of this exercise is to identify strengths and weaknesses to some extent but then to also kind of the next assignment goes into it is like there's there's something really important about um you know uh, identifying that coach that maybe had the, the most positive impact on you and yeah. taking the time to to actually thank that coach you know and sometimes it can be very um almost therapeutic in a sense to to sit down and actually write a letter to a coach that deeply impacted you and just tell them thank you um because what it does is it it helps you um, really solidify why was why are certain coaches um, making an impact, and you know that from personal experience. If you played, you know why someone impacted you, and when you take the time to to write that out and thank them, now you've already given yourself an idea of of the kind of coach you might want to be um, moving forward and how you can make a positive impact. You know, mm. so that that's a really helpful exercise. And then another one is. Um, write a letter to a coach that had a negative impact. Obviously maybe don't actually share that letter with them, but more so for your own processing to say, Hey, you know, you coached me from this time. And while I, I really love the sport, you actually kind of destroyed my love of the sport during this, this season. And that was painful and difficult for me. Um, and doing that also kind of gives you this idea of your articulating your, you actually give yourself the potential to sort of integrate those experiences instead of blocking them out of your life. You kind of integrate them into who you are and you, you now um, are aware of them and then you're less likely to do those things to your own players accidentally. Um, but yeah. when you, you kind of block them out, these negative experiences, you actually create a blind spot in your coaching or in your life and you might actually fall into that same trap. And so taking the time to write out um, those negative things allows you to, kind of take it out of a blind spot and you know you're aware of it so definitely um, i think just something that you touched on there that kind of uh you know stands out for me is even in that that negative letter shall we say um i mean personally I, I would choose to send that letter because you might actually end up finding that that coach that individual that you know that you're writing that letter to may not even be aware of the impact that they've had um and it might yeah. be an opportunity to help them learn Maybe, yeah. Depending on how you write it, I think yeah. it could be really beneficial. You're right. Um, or or even, yeah, tracking them down. Um, I had a coach that tracked down one of the coaches um, that was positive in his life. And he was from Brazil, but he was living here. And he, he was able to reconnect with him over Facebook and, and get on the 
phone call with him and had a great conversation. And it was really cool for him. He said um, to just go all the way back and have this conversation with someone who, who impacted him in a positive way. And, and it was just, you know, it's really interesting. So, and then the third thing you can do actually with this is writing a letter from one of your players, uh, a theoretical letter, thanking you for the impact you had on them. Um, maybe after you've, finished coaching you know you've been coaching for 30 or 40 years and you're done and someone one of your players writes you a letter thanking you what do you want them to say you know what do you want them to say about the impact you had um and that's sort of in a sense putting an ideal that's that's higher up there of like okay this is what i'm shooting for i'm shooting to be the kind of coach that players would write this kind of letter the same way i wrote a letter thanking a coach what do i want the players you know, if they do this exercise, my players do this coaching exercise, you know, years from now, and they're writing me, what do I want them to say? You know what I mean? Um, and that can be kind of helping solidify the vision of where you want to go in the future. So, mm. yeah. So that's the second one. And then the third one is, um, it's a little more practical, practical. It's just, I say pick three things you, you want to avoid from your old coaching scripts and three things you really want to um, continue to do and maybe even do better so that's one more of like and and these are all I will, i'll just have to reiterate this like these are best done in a small group or with a mentor that's how you want to do these in a small group or with a mentor so um, why is that is that because there's more things to kind of probe on and maybe compare and contrast oh man it's amazing when you when you sit around and you actually talk and you share stories um you learn from other coaches and from yeah. their experiences and so you've just got way smarter because you've just at least doubled the amount of experiences because you're talking to another person who's sharing about their, their sports journey and the coaches they had and what they liked and what they didn't like. So you're just, you're, you're learning from them. Um, and they're also able to give you feedback on what you're describing your experiences were like. And they're like, I had one similar to that, or I thought this, but I actually changed my mind. So it improves awareness. To, to do it in, in a community or with other coaches. So is what I would say. Um, so that's the third assignment. The fourth one is, this is probably one of the hardest ones in a way it's writing a value statement. And you're basically writing a statement that like explains why your players are valuable. Um, and this is sort of the foundation. I've, I've kind of talked about this throughout the podcast. Like you're, you, you don't want to build this whole worldview and philosophy and all this stuff on how you're, your style of your team plays and all these things without first solidifying like why your players are valuable because you if your players at any moment doubt that you value and care about them, it's going to massively demotivate them in their effort. And so you need to be sure of why you believe your players are valuable and why they're important. And you want to, you know, articulate that. So, um, you know, I'm in the States, so I'm going to use this example because I think it's one that everyone over here understands is um, in the United States Declaration of Independence, they have a basically what I call a value statement. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so to some extent, that is a value statement because they're basically saying, okay, we believe these things that can't necessarily say the source of it completely, but they say, Hey, these things are self-evident that people are created equal. Um, and, and the reason why they're equal is because they're endowed by their creator with these rights. And if you were to say like, what are the, what are some core values for American culture, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, 
you know, pursuit of happiness, maybe being like opportunity. And so those three things are important. So this, this value statement is to some extent, like a, it summarizes, like, here's why we think people are valuable and here are some of our values. Um, and that's kind of, you know, you might say, this is why I believe my players are valuable. And, and honestly, I think writing, you don't have to, you don't want to start with a simple statement. You want to like write as much as you can on why people are valuable. You might talk about um, the potential of individual human beings um, that, you know, talk about why uh, even people that we thought were not very valuable or, or, you know, we got people like Helen Keller who was blind and all these things. And they just thought she was, you know, crazy. And she ends up being this amazing author and writer and um, thinker and, and culture. And, she was basically a waste at a certain point. She was deaf and blind and she ended up being amazingly valuable to, to um, society and helpful to so many people. And so um, sometimes we can think a player is less valuable on the team <laughs> because they don't have a very good left foot. And it's like, okay, we have to step back. Okay. It is important to develop your left foot. It is important to develop skills that are valuable for the team, but we don't want to in that process, um, erase the intrinsic value you know i mean how often is a player who is actually the weakest player on the team becomes the most important player for the culture of the team you know um so we we want to get the very best out of everyone so writing a value statement um is is really helpful to giving you sort of a solid foundation for what is the next step which is writing like your purpose statement so for this step you know i would bring um everything that we've talked about in the last four sessions, you'd kind of bring that together. You sit down with these coaches or your mentor and you begin to go through that and you come up with key words. You come up with um, maybe you have some favorite quotes that you bring along with you. Um, even famous people that you like their leadership style, you kind of put all those together and you begin to come up with um, key things and themes. And you, and what the way I encourage people to do it is always start with I coach too. And then it's like, okay, thinking about who are you, your coach, your coach to accomplish what, you know, or you're coaching kids to become something or to grow in this way or whatever it is, you know? So for mine, it's, I coach to inspire kids to become men and women of excellence and strength that lead others with mercy and grace. Um, Another example is one of, you know, I coach to help players develop a love for sports and a love for others that'll help them become people who will change the world for good. And so it's kind of like you're thinking about, okay, who are you coaching? You're coaching players, athletes, kids. um, And then what are you trying to accomplish? Right. And then that basically becomes your coaching purpose statement. And then from there, I believe that is your foundation that then you filter and build your whole style of play when it comes to more specifics of how you're technically going to develop your players and tactically and, you know, what's the culture of your team. I think all grows from that purpose statement so for, that you that you form as kind of your basis so and you know just you took that purpose statement you know i think earlier in the conversation you know you talked about the value statement the purpose statement obviously the philosophy as a whole mm-hmm. are there any other elements that you consider as vital or important within that process or as fundamental attributes to that philosophy well i mean what i've given here like i think it's not overly simplistic, but it is definitely simplified. I mean, obviously, when you're talking about when we talk about philosophy, I mean, it's like you're talking about a massive abstract idea. You're talking about your sense of where you 
how you define the world and like what is reality to you those are massive concepts so this is a this is definitely a simplification to try to help you get your hands around and your mind around a pretty complex idea of philosophy you know like when you look at these guys that have that have i mean alex ferguson i mean he has a very well-developed idea of how he sees the world and how he's going to develop leaders and how he's going to run his team and it's like this takes time. It takes a long time to really develop that, you know, and same with Pep. I mean, he's, I mean, he's, after he finished at Barcelona, um, he took that break and really dug deep into like what he was coaching and how he was going to do it and how he was going to change things up. I mean, this is a very immersive process. Um, and I think it's done best um, in a community of coaches, which is, you know, kind of what the organization that I'm a part of helps do is, is help bring coaches together to have these difficult and, and really, I think in a lot of ways, they're fun conversations, though, um, that help us think about how we can maximize our impact um, as coaches. But, yeah, I mean, I think this is an oversimplification is what I'm saying. But I don't think um, you can start with complex always. You sort of have to find a, a, a basic point you can begin from and then gradually build, you know. Well, listen, a very, very um, clear steps. And I think, you know, some key things that you, you mentioned that really resonate with me is um, you know, when you're looking at those coaches that you kind of see some, uh, I guess, positive qualities in, it's important, but it's also equally important to highlight those ones that maybe you see negative, negative, uh, quality. I don't even know if you can call them qualities, but negative mm-hmm. attributes in where you want to look out for the things that you're going to try to implement, but also look out for the things that you're going to try to yeah. avoid. Um, mm. I think speaking deliberate and intentional in that, I think, is, is, is the key part. Yeah. Um, I think the, the, you know that last bit that you touched on there about you know that statement, that coaching statement. You know, I coach so and so in order to such and yeah. such. I think that there is, I think, is, is a real key element to you know developing that, mm-hmm. that statement, that philosophy. Yeah. Um, and you know, I th- I think you know again today you know, it's been a very insightful conversation, uh, certainly for myself, and I'm sure it has been for Ben as well. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> I want to thank you for your time again, Alec. Yeah. Um, I know you've got a, you've got a birthday party. <laughs> I do. To, so. Yeah. But I appreciate um, you guys are yeah, great. Yeah, I, I love it. what you guys are doing. I think it's so important, um, you know, to to help coaches. We can get isolated, you know, and these podcasts are really important to, to spark conversation and, um, you know, for coaches to open up about, you know, what's what their craft is really about. Because a lot of times it's sort of like a mystery like what do coaches actually do, you know? Yeah. And so I think these are, these are <laughs> awesome. And then um, just connecting the top level, you know, pro with the grassroots is, is awesome. You know, it's something we really need to do because there is a gap. There's a gap between, you know, the two. Mm. Um, and obviously I'm passionate about um, helping coaches develop, a, you know, a purpose statement because I think, I think coaches mm-hmm. who know their purpose will, be transformational in the lives of their players. Um, and, and, and they're going to impact them in amazing ways. They're going to shape their worldview and they're going to like sports. And especially when I say sports, cause in the U S we have, we have, we just do all the sports, but around the world, it's really soccer. I mean, football is the sport that everyone's playing. And so yeah. that's really shaping the worldview of everyone. And I think in this day and age, like it's so important that we're shaping worldview um, of, of these kids to be, the type of leaders we want to see, you know, we want to see better leaders in our world. And I think, I think coaches can help 
make a massive difference if they understand the the power they have and the influence they have and the potential they have to influence the next generation instead of just thinking oh i'm just coaching a sport yes you are but you're also coaching a person and you're you're shaping how they think about life and you're actually shaping the future that your kids and everyone else is going to have to live in you know and that's huge definitely and i think the key thing to highlight there is you know the sport itself is just a it's just a vehicle mm-hmm. it's just a vehicle to bring all these things out yeah. and i think that's the fundamental thing for everyone to kind of uh, i guess remember when they're going into these environments yeah um but you know again, again mindful of your time so yeah thanks so much for having me appreciate guys. it no, definitely it's been no, thank you awesome there you have it guys it's been another fantastic discussion again today um you know the first in our how-to series very special thanks to our guest alec lemon thanks again alex for being with us make sure you don't forget that birthday <laughs> yes <laughs> i won't um, um and on that note if we could just um you know alec i'm not sure if you've got any social media handles that you want to share with the listeners um uh, yeah uh, i think it's just at community for coaches is the twitter um my personal twitter is at alec lemon but i don't tweet that much but i guess sometimes i do if you if you, if you message me i i can probably respond on twitter yep. so i'm happy to do that and if you've got your you've got your website as well uh communityforcoaches.org um for if you want help on developing your coaching philosophy um we're we're a nonprofit and um we are faith-based and so we're actually supported by people that just care about what we're doing and so we actually don't charge the coaches for anything we do. So we just, we just do it because we're passionate about it. Um, I pretty much volunteer my time because it's just something I'm passionate about. Um, so, yeah, so you're free to come in there and reach out to us. And we, we just want to help you grow as a coach and improve and no strings attached. Um, so you can come out there. And if you're curious, if you're in the States or in Kansas City and you want to check out part of it, it's Toka FC. Um, or if you're just curious and you want to go look it up, you can. So, um, but yeah, that's it. Ben? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at FocusBXN. Well, there you have it, guys. You've been listening to another edition of the Coaches Network How-To Series, where we discuss a range of topics and with the help of our guests, break down some actionable how-to steps for you to reach your full potential. Now, I've got no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again, guys. You know, your support is massively appreciated. So thanks again for everyone that's been tuning in. And please do get in touch with us and today's guest to let us know where you're listening from, to share your thoughts, your views and your key takeaways from today's show. Along with any suggestions for guests you'd like to see on the show and any topics you'd like to hear discussed, ultimately, guys, the show is about you guys. So let us know what you're interested in, who you're interested in listening from. So get us and get in touch. And on that note, guys, you can get in touch on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. But please do not forget to use the hashtag the Coaches Network. That was the hashtag the Coaches Network. We need as much support we can get to keep this great content coming out to you. Now, lastly, guys, I just want to say keep an eye out for our socials on the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with our panel. Until next time, guys, take care and have a great day. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.